This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. About you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts this morning, open our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit. We may hear your word and receive it with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is a passage about generosity broadly, but giving in particular And uh, people get nervous when ministers talk about money. Some, I'll tell you, some ministers get nervous when they have to talk about money as well. And yet, if a relationship with Jesus changes everything, which we often say that it does, if a relationship with Jesus changes everything, then money, then giving, then generosity is part of that. A close relationship with Jesus will inevitably affect our relationship to our thoughts about our use of money. Or as John Stott put it so well, he said, our giving expresses our theology. Our giving expresses our theology. That is, our use of money says something about what we think about God, what we think about ourselves, about the world, about mission. Our giving expresses our theology. And so the first five verses here of chapter 9, Paul is telling the Corinthians, all right, it's time, right? It's time to give. We're coming there soon. It's Commitment Sunday, so to speak, for the Corinthian church. And so he says, I want you to be ready. And in verses 1 to 2, he says, I mean, on the one hand, I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned because I was there. I was there on on Vision Sunday. I was there uh, to see you guys get excited about this effort. I know you're on board. But on the other hand, he says, verses 3 and 4, There's good intentions, and then there's good actions. And Paul's saying, you know, look, I know how hard it is to follow through, especially when it means giving money away. And Paul says, I would hate to show up and you not be ready. And so verse 5, he says, we're sending folks ahead. You have plenty of time to think about this, plenty of time to prepare. And really, we want your gift to be free and willing. We don't, free and willing, free and willing, free wheeling goes together, free and willing Paul's saying, I don't want it to be an exaction. I don't, want to, I, don't want to, I don't want to have to pull it out of you. And so in our text this morning, Paul's trying to, to help in that effort. He's trying to set them free to give 
generously. And the way he does it is not by chiding or conjoling. It's not a moralistic lecture. But rather, Paul offers them a different way to think about money and about giving. He gives them a metaphor. That is a way to think about money. He gives them a manner. That is a way to carry ourselves in relationship to money and to giving. And then thirdly, he gives them a motivation. Actually, a couple of motivations. Things that drive us toward generosity. So a metaphor, a manner, and a motivation or several motivations, actually. All right, so let's think about it that way. First, the metaphor. We see it in verse 6, and then we see it again down in verses 10 and 11. I'll I'll read to you verse 6 again. The point is this, he says. Some translations say, remember this. So Paul's spotlighting this notion. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So what Paul's saying here, right? is uh, uh, we have to know how money works. That is, um, sometimes we think about money as something that whatever we don't hold on to, we lose. Right? Whatever we give away is gone. Whatever we don't hold on to, we lose. That's typically how we think about it. But Paul says, you know what? There's lots of things. If you look around the world, there's lots of things in life that don't work that way. There are situations where you actually have to give something away in order for it to become useful. You actually have to scatter it abroad in order to unlock its potential. It's when you scatter it that it actually grows, that it actually becomes productive. In other words, Paul says, there are things in this world where you have to lose in order to gain. And Paul says the best way to think your money is like that, as if it were a seed, right? You know this, a seed in your hand or in your pocket or in your safe or, you know, under your mattress, much like a coin, doesn't do much, does it? You keep it there, small, it's hard, it's cold, all its potential is encased in a shell, locked in dormancy, But when you know how a seed works, right, you know its value is not in holding it back, but in sowing the seed into the ground. The farmer knows it's when you scatter the seed bountifully that that's when the harvest comes. The farmer, Paul says, who sows sparingly and grudgingly reaps sparingly, but the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. The seed, in other words, becomes true wealth only when you're willing to send it out. And you're willing to give it away. Now, if you're like me, and agricultural metaphors can seem a little bit distant, uh, a more urban version of this might be investing, right? The return only comes when you're willing to put it to work, when you're willing to invest. In this case, Paul is urging them to make an investment in the church and in the kingdom of God in particular, Let's keep going, though. Down in verse 10, it picks up the same metaphor. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So Paul's saying God will take those seeds that are sown in faith and he will multiply them. He'll make them grow. And this metaphor also then reminds us that the harvest that comes is of a different order than that which is sown, right? When you sow seeds into the ground, what do you get back? You don't just get a harvest of seeds again, right? You sow seeds in the ground, you don't get just like one big seed 
that grows out of it, right? No, of course, it's something different, right? What comes back from the seed sown into the ground is something of a different order altogether. What comes back is life. What comes back is grain and wheat for bread and fruit and crop. The seed returns as wealth in a vastly different form than the way in which you sowed it. And this is how kingdom economics work. When we give away, and not just our money, actually, but also our time and our talents, when we give things away, not just keep them for ourselves, not just store them up for ourselves, but when we give these things away, God will use it. God will multiply them. God will make a harvest of righteousness. Most of the commentators believe that Paul has in mind here Isaiah 55. He's making an illusion of sorts to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 is the prophet uh, making an invitation to a banquet, a feast, a rich harvest celebration. And it begins with Isaiah saying, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. He's saying the kingdom of God is a, a feast of grace. Not something you can earn, but it's actually already been bought and paid for by the suffering servant who died and rose again. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 54. But then Isaiah says, now seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. But how do we know how to seek the Lord? Well, Isaiah 55 goes on, verse 10 and 11. God is scattering his word liberally throughout the land, like rain and snow coming down from heaven. It says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty. So God is sowing his word into the world and it's going to reap a rich harvest of righteousness. And then Paul is saying to the Corinthians, let's join him in this work. We too can sow seeds. We too can reap a harvest through our words as we tell people about Jesus, but also through our loving deeds and our acts of generosity. We sow widely and then God makes a reap, makes to reap a huge and wonderful harvest. Verse 11 goes on with a promise this time. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, the first part there can sound a little prosperity gospel-ish, right? You will be enriched in every way. Does that mean that if I give, then God is obligated to, God is going to, he's, he's promised that he's going to bless me materially. Is that what it means? A lot of people have interpreted it that way. There's a story about a, a TV evangelist on his uh, evening program one night. He was promising that if anyone would, he, he believed the Lord had told him, he prayed, uh, he said, if, if, if you send a gift in of $20 or more, God has promised to triple it in response to you. He said, this will happen. Uh, I, I believe it. I've prayed over it. You send your gift of $20 or more, and God will give you three times as much in return. One discerning viewer wrote in to the evangelist and said, why don't you send us $20, and then God will make three times that amount return. That'll be easier way for you to raise all your money that you're hoping, right? Which is a brilliant response. The promise here in verses 10 and 11 is not that your personal wealth will necessarily grow. I mean, verse 10, notice, it's the harvest of righteousness that God multiplies. Yes, verse 11, it says, you will be enriched. But listen, 
To what end? You'll be enriched to what end? So that you can then sow more seeds of generosity. So that you can be generous again. God may bless you materially. He may not. But if you're generous, what God promises is more chances to be generous again. In other words, those who are faithful with those opportunities will be given more opportunities to be a part of God's work and to be generous again. Whatever we get, we're to sow again, trusting God for this harvest of righteousness and mission and redemption. And this is a promise that we need because when you look around right at the sure scale of the problems and needs in our city, in our neighborhood, let alone throughout the world, we need to know that God will use our gifts, however humble. He can multiply them. He'll use them. And they'll bring about a great harvest. Paul is trying to set them free to give generously. And they needed a new metaphor to think about money. We might need a new metaphor. Not that what we give away we lose, but what we give away we invest, we sow. And God is going to bring about a rich harvest. But secondly, he also gives them a manner that is a way of carrying ourselves in relationship to money, in relationship to giving in particular. And starting in verse 7, he says, Our giving, he says, I don't want it to be done uh, reluctantly or under compulsion. Right? Giving should not be reluctant, done reluctantly or under compulsion. Now, my son, Crosley, my eight year old, uh, has the kind of personality that can get you to do things reluctantly or under compulsion. That is, he has a way of sort of cornering you or wearing you down. Uh, if you've met him, you might know that some of you are smiling because you can imagine this. He's, first of all, he's very bold. So we'll go to a store very often and he'll say, Dad, I'm going to go up to the counter and I'm going to ask the person at the register uh, for whatever that they're giving away free. And I'll try to explain to him. I'm like, this is a store. That's not how it works. They don't have free things. They... They sell things here, and you don't have any money. So, like, then he looks at me like I'm the biggest idiot in the whole world, because he thinks, "What could we? What's to be lost in asking, Dad? Like, why wouldn't we ask?" And so, inevitably, he goes and he asks. And sometimes they have free stuff behind the counter, believe it or not. And sometimes it's they don't have the store doesn't have free things. Like the lady goes into her own purse and gives <laughs> something. I'm we're mortified, you know, by this. But it's not just that he's bold, but he's also persistent, and he can be a little bit um, intense. And so we have some friends who say, you know, they always imagine Crosley to grow up to be a salesman of some kind, because he's the kind of person who you might come into the store and say, hey, we're just looking today. And he's going to say, what can we do to put you in this camper van right now? What kind of memories are you going to make? we got to do this right now. Five, four, three, two, one, do it, do it. And, and then you're like, okay, I'll buy it, you know. Um, I'm learning to appreciate these qualities in my son, largely because I do not have them. Uh, I'm learning to appreciate them. However, I will say, this is not what Paul is doing here. All right, John Stott summarizes verses 7, 8, and 9 this way. He says, there is a sense here of a settled conviction about how much to give, of a decision reached after careful consideration and always with joy and cheerfulness. You hear that? A settled conviction, a decision reached after careful consideration. Paul says it right there in verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. In other words, Paul doesn't want to show up and for them to feel 
pressured, even if that somehow in that moment did yield a big gift, it would not be ultimately what Paul is after because he's not after a one-time transaction. Ultimately, what Paul is after is a lifetime of generosity, of people growing more and more like Jesus. He goes on in verse 9, as it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, Paul here is quoting from Psalm 112. This is a, a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm which gives us a picture of a righteous woman, a righteous man, somebody who fears God and abounds in good works. And part of that abounding in good works, part of that being righteous is not just believing the right things, not just being doctrinally orthodox, not just showing up to church, not just uh, being morally pure, but part of their righteousness is in meeting the needs of others and particularly in giving freely to the poor. This is a righteousness, Psalm 112, and Paul now say, is a righteousness that endures forever. Paul doesn't want to pressure uh, them. He doesn't want just this moment of intensity to produce a generous gift, but rather he wants conviction. He wants a desire to fear God and to join in his mission. He wants a thoughtful, prayerful, willing gift and a joyful one. Is verse 7, he says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the word for cheerful there, it's the Greek word hilarion. If you don't know Greek, it's okay. You know exactly what it means, right? Because it's the same etymology. It's where we get our word hilarious, right? God wants a hilarious. God wants a cheerful giver. Hilarion is that feeling you get when you find an old pair of jeans and dig in the pocket and Lo and behold, there's $20 in there that you didn't know you had before and you can throw away that peanut butter and jelly and go out to Chipotle or something for lunch, right? Like that's the feeling you get. That's hilarious. Or look, on a larger scale, it's when your numbers are called for the $2 billion Powerball drawing. Normally, though, that feeling is associated with getting money, receiving money, finding money. But Paul said it can also come from giving money. Because God himself is a cheerful giver. And we are more like him when we are like that too. And so if this is your church, right? if New City is your church, then next Sunday is an opportunity to, to make a pledge, to make a commitment. Uh, we'll turn those in, committing to give what we're going to give for the next two years, December 2022 to December 2024. And I really do hope that you've had some time uh, to think and to pray over those commitment cards, to think and to pray how you might respond. And, and if you haven't had time for that, then let me encourage you to take some time this week because we don't want you to come uh, feeling under compulsion. We, do, we want you to have freedom to give. We want it to be deliberate and thoughtful and prayerful, each one according to what he has decided in his heart in Paul's words, and not through gritted teeth, but with joy. So Paul gives a metaphor and to think about money, to think about giving. Gives us a manner in which to do it, how to carry ourselves in relationship to it. But then finally, motivation. Now, motivation, you know what that is, right? It's also the etymology of the word. It comes from the same word we get from motor, right? It's what drives something. It's what drives the engine. Motivation is what drives you. And Paul, throughout 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, has given a number of these. We already talked about this morning, uh, the motivation of mission, right? This harvest of righteousness that God is going to bring about. So we ought to 
be left thinking, right, how do we get in on this? Like the Macedonian church thought about that. God multiplies the seed. He's going to produce a great harvest. So there's a motivation to be a part of what God is doing, a motivation of mission. But there's two other motivations here that come up in these chapters. And I'll just mention them very quickly. We won't take a ton of time this morning. But creation and redemption. Right? First creation, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God can make all grace abound to you. Why? Because he's the creator. He's the sustainer. Everything belongs to him. He has everything at his disposal. He can make all grace abound to you because it all belongs to him. That means also you can give things away because you realize it already all belongs to God and whatever needs that you have, he is sufficient to supply them. We can give away because we know if we acknowledge God as creator that it already all belongs to him anyway. Now, maybe there's something in us that sort of rises up against that notion. You know, maybe not out loud, but maybe in our hearts. Maybe we're thinking, you know, no, right? I've earned this. It belongs to me. This is mine. It's, it's, it's what I've earned. And it may very well be true that you worked really hard for what you have. I believe that's true. It's to be commended also, right? When you've worked hard and you've reaped a return for that. But when God hears the statement, right, that's mine because I earned it, you know, God, I think, says to us in response something like, you know that air that you're breathing? Right? I've given you that freely. You know those lungs that you breathe with? You know I designed those? And I gave those to you? You know that mind that you've applied to your work, the work uh, effort that you put in, the, the work ethic that you have? That's from me too. Where you live, where you grew up, who you met, the connections that you've made. By the way, those are all from me. Every last bit of it, the Lord is saying. Those are all gifts. Those come from me. To claim otherwise is a kind of cosmic plagiarism. Paul Boyes, one of our elders here, he was uh, teaching the men's Bible study this week from Romans 8, and he uh, quoted from Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas said this, Everything is from God. To God, everything is owed. Everything is from God. To God, everything is owed. You know, this, this is mine kind of attitude. You know, parents, those of your parents know this, others can imagine, I'm sure. We're generally irked about that attitude when it rears in our kids that this is mine. You know, you can buy your child uh, a $50 uh, video game, let's say, right? And they're in the moment so happy, right? So grateful. Thank you. You're the best dad in the whole wide world, right? They're so excited about this. But then like 30 minutes later, you could say, can, you know, can I have a turn or can your sister have a, a turn playing the game? And they'll say, what? No, it's mine, right? It's mine. And you, you think to yourself as a parent, you're like, seriously? I mean, I, you, I just gave this to you. You were so grateful. No, it's, it's mine. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have? You did not receive. What do you have that's not a gift? When we say it's mine, God says, seriously? Seriously. How can we not want to liberally sow seeds of generous giving? 
Everything we have comes from him. It's a motivation, understanding God's uh, ownership, claim to everything, and as well as his ability to supply our every need. But then also redemption, right? Not just creation, but redemption. Back in chapter 8, Paul said, uh, and you've heard us quote this over and over again throughout this series, because it really is the centerpiece of Paul's appeal to the Corinthian church. He says, I don't want you to give under compulsion. He says, I say this not as a command. And then he goes on, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The Christian looks at what Jesus has done for us and says, how can I not want to give to somebody who has been so generous to me? Because of Jesus, I am rich. I've been adopted into his family. I have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. I have forgiveness. I have a clean conscience. No moralistic lecture. No amount of guilt tripping can make any one of us generous. Not in the way that Paul is talking about it here. Real generosity comes from gazing at Jesus, looking at Jesus, appreciating Jesus. Look at Jesus, how he emptied himself for you. Look at Jesus who left eternal wealth, who left the place of unassailable security, who left perfect comfort, who left ultimate status. He left it behind for you. Look at Jesus as he pays the price, not out of his leftovers, but with his very blood, his very life. Look at him who sowed his life into the ground, buried into the depths of the earth, because that's what it would cost to redeem you. Look at him who gave, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but gave with gladness. The book of Hebrews says he went to the cross for the joy set before him. Look at Jesus who paid it all because he knew where true wealth was. This harvest of redemption. And when that truth takes root in our hearts and in our minds and our lives, then we can give sincerely and freely and joyfully and sacrificially. So let's pray together, and then we're going to come and experience a little bit of Jesus' generosity to us as we come to the Lord's table. Would you pray with me? Lord, we celebrate you as the giver of life. Everything we have comes from you. And we need your continued help that we might become cheerful givers. And so we ask, even this morning, that you renew us in the likeness of Christ, who joyfully surrendered his life for our sake. Would you increase our faith that we would know that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We ask that you would meet us this morning. Meet us now at your table. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.